You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, yeah, I struggled in New York, but I don't know. I mean, I, I think when I started writing melodic music and I started singing, that's when I, that's when we noticed uh, that uh, girls would show up to our show and then, uh, with <laughs> girls, <laughs> their boyfriends would come and then all of a sudden, then you have a crowd and then we're like, wow, this is how you make a living by actually getting people in so that you can get paid to do a gig, you know, instead of like playing for tips. Hello, welcome to another episode of 2020. My name is Corey Paisley here as always with Siobhan Cronin and Benny Goodman. And uh, today we get to speak Yo. with, really, you're starting already? Don't you have enough <laughs> enough in this episode? <laughs> enough insanity? <laughs> we're talking I like to, violence. We're talking to uh, Kishi Bashi, who's a singer, multi-instrumentalist and a songwriter, uh, a friend of Siobhan's that, that, that she kind of brought in and he's a fascinating guy. Yeah, he's awesome. I mean, he's an inspiration to me, as I say, on the show. And he talks a lot about getting into the style of music that he's developed for himself, you know, crafting solo shows, going from being a young, budding classical musician, going into jazz, breaking out into rock, and then eventually developing his own solo project. If you go on like a Tinder date with some like, you know, hipster and you want to sound like you really know what you're talking about, be like, I love Kishibashi. And they'll be like, who the fuck's that? And they're going to look him up and they're going to be like, whether they love it or hate it, they're going to be like, this is really, this is really cool. So, like, try that on a Tinder date. I'm telling you, Kishibashi is the way in. You're welcome. <laughs> well, without letting Ben ruin this episode more than he already does in the episode, let's jump right in part one with Accurate. Kishibashi right now. Like and subscribe at 2020-D.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of 2020. I'm Siobhan Cronin here, as always, with my friends and cohorts, Corey Peza and Benny Goodman. And this week, I'm super excited to invite one of my dear friends that I met playing music, the incredible Kishibashi, who plays basically every instrument. I don't even know if I can call you violinist, singer, producer. You do everything, and you're so inspiring to me. I was so happy that you were willing to come on our crazy show and welcome. I can't wait to dive into telling your story to all of our listeners, wherever they may be. <laughs> wow. Thank you. No, so it's so great to, to be here. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I'm, I'm super excited. So maybe we can start off. Uh, you just wrapped up a, a little bit of a tour, right? Um, can you tell us maybe about what, what was that and what you were doing? Yeah. So it's been 10 years since my debut album. So I mean, since the beginning of Kishibashi, my, my solo project. And so it's uh we just did a kind of played the album straight down from top to bottom and it's two u.s tours three weeks Mm -hmm. each and so just wrap that out two legs of it and i was exhausted a couple weeks ago but i don't know i think i'm doing all right yeah no i feel you we've been going for almost three months now i mean totally different (laughs) style of music but i'm in the the twilight zone right now in terms of traveling it's yeah three weeks is kind of the ideal amount of time i think to be traveling yeah you kind of lose your mind 
you've been on three months straight or have you any any time to go back not really i mean so we did a support tour so for those listening i'm out with star set right now but we did a support tour where we were opening for an arena band Mm -hmm. we did that for like four weeks and then we had basically two days to sort of flip our production we were just sitting in nashville so it wasn't really like any rest time we didn't go home or anything just had to go get more of our gear and then we immediately went out on a big headline run it was like more or less five shows a week for the remainder of the two months Oh my God. So yeah, yeah. that's yeah. I used, I used to tour hard, um, but I can't, I used to do like five week us tours, but I can't do anything more than that. I'd start start like, it's not fun anymore for me. Yeah. No, I'm I'm starting to feel like that. Like maybe a few years ago it was okay, but now I'm just kind of like, all right, this is too much. (laughs) (laughs) You're, um, your show, uh, I'm sorry, just to, sorry to interrupt, but I just want to make sure that people that, that maybe, uh, haven't heard you yet. Cause I had a chance to check you out today after Siobhan kind of like, gave us a little heads up about you and I want, I was curious cause you know, she, she mentioned that you're a multi-instrumentalist and you do all these things. And I, so I went to your website and went through your, uh, a bunch of your videos. And first off, they're crazy. Like the, you have like the, <laughs> the super creative mind when it comes to like presenting your music, uh, and also your music. Thanks. Um, it looks like you do a lot of like live looping kind of stuff, or at least, uh, in some of the videos, it looked like some of that, uh, what do, what does a tour look like for you when you're doing your solo uh, music? Yeah, I mean, um, I usually have a you know in the beginning I was just by myself, and that's when I'd rely a lot on looping and beatboxing, make, making beatbox loops and playing violin, and then uh, accompanying my voice with the violin, and then um, and then I you know I started adding more people. So, but recently it's usually a four or five piece band, you know, full tour. I have a you know tour manager, sound person, lighting. I have a couple confetti cannons. <laughs> You know that I blow off. Real deal, yeah. real deal. Production value. <laughs> I, I love these confetti. I keep buying confetti cannons. You know, uh, I just bought some lights, so I own some lights now. You know, and just kind of like. You, did you go down to like Ultra in Miami? You saw like Steve Aoki blowing that shit over everyone. You're like, fuck. <laughs> I got I need, mixes with my violin. It's gonna be revolutionary. I need some <laughs> no cake. I need, some, like, I need to throw some cake. You know, or whatever. Uh, oh yeah, dude. <laughs> how much, how much do the venues raft? love you as they clean up all the confetti? Um, they love me after I pay them uh, between two hundred fifty and five hundred dollars to clean up. Um, it's not like the flaming lips. It's not like we don't. It's not gross like cake, you know. So it like or like champagne and feathers or like some bands do that, you know. Oh my they, gosh, they that me. sounds like a nightmare to clean up. Yeah, they hate those bands or like gore or something. But you know, we're just, it's just like light confetti. You can just sweep it yeah. up, you know. But it, it, yeah. it adds so much delight. To yeah, the one show. of my first jobs was working at uh, Tweeter Center, which is now Xfinity Center in, in Mansfield, Massachusetts. And uh, I always hated when Aerosmith played because they have c- confetti cannons that are of the industrial size. And the, oh, yeah, they yeah. fill a 20,000 seat arena with confetti <laughs> that then they send all the 13 year olds to clean up for the next week. So, <laughs> But it makes for a good I mean, show. That's what really yeah. matters, right? And good, mer- good memories, you know, to talk to your therapist about with. Right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> 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 well, let's let's jump back, back really quick because I want to fill in some of the listeners. So I met you um, playing with New Deco Ensemble, and that was actually my first time discovering your music. And it was so inspirational to me because as a violinist growing up in the classical world and, you know, recently getting into the rock world, I was always inspired by people that kind of broke out of that genre and did their own thing. And especially having something that's like your own show that's kind of violin centric that incorporates all these different styles and elements. And I'm wondering if you can tell us uh, for the listeners how you got started or got inspired to sort of break out into your own genre, how you studied like learning violin, just kind of walk us through your upbringing when it comes to music. Yeah, I mean, um, first of all, you know, playing with New Deco was, you know, it, it's a huge like, I, I love those guys, you guys, you know, it's like, it's such a, it's such a great project. Um, 
And uh, that's kind of the culmination of like really trying to get my violin to do different things and to play with different people. But initially, you know, I was classically trained, classically trained through high school. I was kind of serious about um, string quartets. So I did like, like played Debussy and Shostakovich. I had a little group in high school. And then uh, I started getting into jazz improvisation. Ultimately, you know, I went to college and I ended up at Berkeley College of Music where I studied jazz violin, like really impro- impro- improvisation on violin really heavily for like a few years. And so that, that was my main thing. And then it wasn't until, you know, I was playing with jam bands and it wasn't until I moved to New York and I was doing like basically like an electric violin thing, but I never really played solid state. I uh, saw solid body electric. It was always like a violin with a pickup on it, you know? Okay. And so that's kind of, yeah. yeah. And that's what I, I did. And I, so I never get, I, you know, I know you put like distortion, like, like I can't put distortion on my acoustic it's, violin. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely harder. Yeah, yeah, it's hard, yeah. Um, well, I mean, like, I got to tell you, when I put like a holes in my Amati, the guy who was doing was kind of a, a upset with me. He was like, dude, you shouldn't <laughs> do this. But the thing is, for me, it's all about the sound and I'm playing it. So like, why wouldn't I put holes in my Amati violin? Your Amati violin. Yeah, right. Yeah. Sound <laughs> does not own an Amati violin. <laughs> did, did you just look up expensive violins? Like, No, did you, no, I actually... Would do, to be hold honest. on. <laughs> Siobhan knows this. I happen to pride myself on just having an expansive knowledge for useless things, and I happen to like instruments, so I will go to museums and even take pictures of Amatis versus Stradivariuses versus, and I, I collect guitars and all that, so all that stuff, I have a freakish knowledge for it, so uh, I can't play it, but I've seen many a Stradivarius and many an Amati, and I know a lot of those stories, but I don't know why they're good or anything about it other than they're $43 million. Or more, starting at... Yeah, starting out. Exactly. Well, let me ask you. So so in terms of your musical influences, um, what made you gravitate towards jazz or other styles besides classical? Because if you were super into classical and then went sort of 180 to jazz improvisation, everything's related, of course, but totally different. Um, What you know, what influenced you to go in that direction at first? I think, um, you know, I got into uh, somebody bought me a CD of Stefan Grappelli when I was in high school. He's a great like jazz violinist um, from the 40s. You know, he played with Django Reinhardt, kind of established that genre. They call it gypsy jazz. Mm-hmm. Um, gypsy jazz. Gypsy jazz. Yeah. Uh, well, Django I love Reinhardt. Django with, with, the, two, yeah, with yeah. the two fingers. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah the two fingers. Paul. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he was probably one of the great, probably the first early great soloist on guitar. I, I, like, I'm probably, doing yeah. a documentary yeah. right now on Les Paul and we have a whole thing oh, on Django. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I love, yeah. Yeah, he's he's incredible. So yeah, so his group had you know the hot club quintet of hot club of Paris or of France, whatever. You know he had this. He had a Stefan Grappelli, who's this great violinist, and um and so I had a I started transcribing his solos, and then um I used to listen to a lot of Kronos Quartet, and they had some jazz uh, like a Bill Evans. Yeah, they had a Bill Evans album, which was really cool. When what they what I thought was improvising was just a transcribed Bill Evans solo on uh for, for chronos quartet and then uh i didn't realize that till later but uh, uh and then you know i just i really loved i love the sound of just acoustic violin improvising and so i, I really got into it i like jean-luc ponty you know yeah you know, yeah mahavishnu orchestra mahavishnu orchestra is like my hero one of my heroes that's awesome was that so, jerry goodman or something was that, yeah, was jerry, that uh y- well, yeah he's he's the first guy uh you know and then i think that he fired the story is he fired his entire uh john mclaughlin fired his entire first band after they got they wanted like more money or something and then he just hired like a more polished version of everybody <laughs> I, remember, for second I remember being a dorky young kid and i went to go see the dixie dregs and and dream theater and i was yeah. backstage because i was you know 
doing keyboard stuff for Jordan <laughs> Rudis trying to kiss my some ass to see John yeah. Petrucci and stuff. And there's this they're saying Goodman, Goodman. And I'm Jay like, Goodman, they're yeah. calling they're they're calling well, I'm Benny Goodman. So I'm like, well, what do you want, Portnoy? And yeah. he's calling Jerry Goodman. And I saw him walking around with a violin. And I'm like, there's a dude back here who plays violin. And then I saw Jerry Goodman <laughs> play. And I was like, holy fuck. And I still have a drum head signed in that room from Jerry Goodman. But I, that was the first time I was like, wait a minute. Violinists can fucking hang out with like Steve Morris and yeah, John Petrucci. Right? Yeah. 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 John, Dixie oh, yeah. And Rod, yeah, yeah, Steve Morris. Rod Morgenstein. Yeah. yeah. Fucking unbelievable. Why don't we talk about why your name is, your name is Benny Goodman? Yeah. Why is that? <laughs> well, <laughs> really, uh, can we I'd love to say it's because my parents <laughs> like to sing, sing, sing because, right. because they like swing music, but they're not, they weren't that cultured. In fact, my dad is a uh, Hebrew. And uh, in huh. Hebrew, uh, Benjamin means son of my right side, and I'm a twin. So this is the side when my mom had a cesarean section that they destroyed, the son of the right side. Now, unfortunately for my brother, the only name was Point Dexter, which meant son of my left side. So they named him Brian. But I, Benjamin, <laughs> means son of my right side. And my dad, because he's a good man, it's a Jewish thing. You know, he goes back to the 13th century. Someone, someone liked that guy. He's a good man. So Benny, well, Ben, and then my yeah. grandfather, who was Greek, had nothing to do with the Jews, probably didn't really like us that much, to be honest with you, but accepted <laughs> us because I was related to him. He used to be like, Benny, Benny, get out. No one called me Benny. No one called me Benny. So finally, when I was like seven, someone's like, Benny Goodman? Your name's Benny? And I'm like, what do you mean my name is Benny? Like, like that was like, my name was like a, a Barack Obama or something. Almost. You know? Uh, yeah. yeah. So... Ever wow. since then, it's one of those things where I've just kind of lived up to the moniker. I, I like it. Benny Goodman. Yeah, you've got a lot to live You'll remember to. me now. <laughs> yeah. and well, actually, all the episodes we've done, I can't believe you haven't told this story before because you love to repeat stories multiple times. And for doing over 100 episodes, you've not once told this story. So I'm very proud of you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And just so you know, if you ever want to find me, I am the Benny Goodman on all platforms. <laughs> and I will say this too. We're doing a document. We were saying this, a documentary on Les Paul. And the yeah. first time I went to go see Joe Perry and Alice Cooper and Johnny Depp, I got on their guest list and I felt all verklempt because Joe Perry went up to my buddy, <laughs> our, our friend or collect the friend of the show, Paul Geary. And he, and he said, did Betty Goodman, the King of swing come back from the dead <laughs> to come see us? And my buddy it? literally had to say something to the extent of like, no, nah, it's just just my friend, Benny. But, Benny. To, but Joe asked about me. You know what I mean? Like he knows that I, I, I exist now. So I, I feel good. Well, I mean, what does the estate of Benny Goodman think about you as Benny Goodman? <laughs> you know, he has an estate. He was a clarinet player. How long ago did that estate run out? Like 1958? <laughs> is he the king of swing? Yeah, but how big is a swing? I mean, like what kind of niche amongst the niches, amongst the niche? You hear the kids swinging now? They're all doing the EDM and shit. If it was DJ like, Goodman. Yeah, in like, yeah, like parks That and would stuff. be a thing. Yeah. If he was a Vici, we'd never forget him. <laughs> yep. Oh, I assumed you just went by that, so you would never be the first result on Google searches. <laughs> right, exactly. Knowing you. Well, that's that's now my goal, Corey. Yeah, that is now my up. goal. There can be only one. <laughs> there, there can be only one. Oh man! Oh my gosh! Well, let's let's come back to the topic, right, again, which is not which yeah. is not the Benny Goodman, who is a host that you can listen to plenty of other times on other episodes. Um, let's go back. So we were talking about jazz and, and some of your influences. At what point did you branch off and think about creating your own project? Because um, that's a hard thing to do, and 
at what point did you start singing or writing lyrics all these other things that come into like doing your own show well i mean i'd always played in bands but i think the funny thing you know it's connected to jazz is that you know when i moved to new york i had a, a jazz group called jupiter one and so we, I started noticing that once I started singing songs, like more and more people would come to our shows. Cause like jazz shows are just like, they're dismal and they're kind of empty and like your, it's only your friends and maybe their other friends, you know, come to pay to see you. <laughs> Which is but, sad. Cause it's so, such a like complicated, refined art form. Yeah. You, you probably more people appreciate. <laughs> you spend so much time practicing. Well, on how I was, to, like, I was wondering and, actually, you know, so Corey said he, he was doing research and I was as well. And first off, you're next level, dude. Like, I mean, honestly, my brain hurts. I, I actually, some of the stuff I didn't like because I don't feel like my brain's smart enough to understand why it's good. Like, but I wanted to understand this. There's a song called uh, I'm Your Antichrist. And I wonder, is that an allegory for, you know, playing instrumental in, impromptu violin? Is that like what that's about? Because it was a very strange dichotomy. I felt like listening to that song was like when well, the guy cuts off up the... the song title then, so you should do a better job of remembering. No, I'm terrible about. with this stuff because, but I will say this. I, I was moved. I literally was like, this is so different. This is so is cool. Your favorites. voice, your voice is a thing. Well, first off, my favorite is, vi- I probably got it wrong too, Violin Tsunami, whatever the fuck that is, was, li- it melted my mind and, and, the, and the crescendos from the violin to like whatever other fully sound and things you have going on to actually having a beat. Like, I got to tell you, I was listening to it and, and it gave me goosebumps. And it was one of those things where I, I actually had to say to myself, like, I don't think I understand this, but I think I need to respect it immediately because I'm going to make a fool of myself if I don't. <laughs> okay, thanks. What was the question Yeah, what was the question? There was no question. Welcome it was just to our world. Our show. Oh, the, question, yeah. the question was uh, about the song I got wrong. I'm oh, your antichrist. Yeah. I am the antichrist to you. Correct. Yeah. You said it way more eloquently than I did. Incorrectly. Uh, what? What's that about? Like, I mean, that's such a cool <laughs> title, and of course, it's in a Rick and Morty, which I love. So, like, it has to have some sort of strange meaning, or well, does it not? I mean, I'd rather not say what it really means, but it's probably not about my hatred for the jazz. Uh, Jo- not genre, but the the so job. Wrong. The, that is the, a possible meaning. I was the, wrong. The job okay. that the job that is playing straight ahead jazz for a living. You know, <laughs> it's something that I, uh, yeah, I struggled in New York. But I don't know. I mean, I, I think when I started writing melodic music and I started singing, that's when I. That's when we noticed uh, that uh, girls would show up to our show, and then uh, with <laughs> girls, <laughs> their boyfriends would come, and then all of a sudden, then you have a crowd. And then we're like, wow, this is how you make a living by actually getting people in so that you can get paid to do a gig, you know, instead of like playing for tips and getting yeah. like a free drink. Well, it two. goes from like easy listening, like on the phone as you're waiting, even though you're like, wow, this is really good. That arpeggio is nice to like, I got to tell you when I'm listening to Violin Tsunami, like your voice, it I don't I don't want to compare you to like Anya or something like that, but it's like that got that relaxing, like it overcame me with like I should be saying a mantra. Are you talking about Anya? Whatever. I don't get anything right. Don't you know? The names of everything's wrong. But it's Anya. It's like but that relaxing, overwhelming, like Anya Anya Arrow Aerosmith. Aerosmith. I put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. Yeah. Well, I am wearing that's true. I know you're wearing Aerosmith. So, yeah. but, but just to kind of go back to that shift, um, you're, you're you know, obviously, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we just we try to steer it away from this train wreck uh, over here as, as often as possible. But uh, you know that 
for some people shifting from you know uh, the style of jazz like that to something that i guess would be considered a little more mainstream and melodic like is there a stigma that you had to overcome for yourself or for others that were around you to to do that or was it more like oh wait this is actually working and and i enjoy it more you know when, when people actually show up to see me well, I mean, the one thing about violin is that it can be very beautiful and like uh, serene and like um, emotionally uh, enriching or en enrapturing. So like I used to be in a, a rock band with my, so Jupiter One turned into a rock band where I was playing guitar okay. and keyboard, you know, and singing and like doing scissor kicks or whatever we do in rock <laughs> bands, yes. but, you know, and then, but then I, I didn't really, I didn't really play violin that much in that band. I did a little bit as a novelty. You know, it wasn't violin for it. It was just like rock because that's what dudes do. They play rock on like guitars and maybe keyboards if you're lucky, you know. But um, and so I think uh, after like after really struggling with that band, I started doing solo. Um, let's see when is, I started. Well, a couple of things happened. One was like I, I started having a I, I, start, I started I had a kid, you know, and so she you know, we had a little child, a little baby. And basically I had to be quiet, like in our in our apartment. So I had to like write really soft songs like a lot of times, like wow, at, when they're asleep, you know? And yeah, I think a course. lot of that really helped me to just not be like, I can make non-aggressive music and be like, like make chill music or beautiful, like quiet music and feature my voice more. I think I kind of learned that also because I used to play for, uh, I toured with Regina Spector for a whole year, you know, and, I, and she has this really beautiful voice and it's a way to like capture the audience by just mm -hmm. her voice being really loud in her piano, you know? And so, I kind of got inspired to be like, uh, and she let me open up, you know, for her whole tour and stuff like that. But uh, I, I think, it, yeah, just basically it's like, it took me a lot of to, to, to come down from, you know, Mount testosterone, uh, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and to just our toxic masculinity in music, you know, which is just like, to, to be able to embrace, like, I want to make beautiful music. And I think the violin really kind of has that sound, you know, like this beauty that I, I really attracted. And once I started doing that, it was like, it, it opened a lot of doors because it's, 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 it's a little tricky to do, you know, to make music with the violin, like a violin forward music sound. Yeah, definitely. So, I well, think, I was going to uh, say that that was something I, I very much enjoyed about your music was that like, you know, a lot of it has just solo violin and these layers, a, a lot of layers, but it's songwriter. Like it's, mm -hmm. it sounds like you could play it with just a guitar or just a piano and sing it. And that was a really cool thing to me because it, it, it's not just like, oh, look, I'm a violinist and I'm singing over it. It's, these are songs that could live autonomously of whether you play them on the piano or the violin. And it's, it's really good. And your voice is haunting. It's really cool, man, to put, to put it all together because like your harm, your sense of harmony is incredulous. Like, I, I mean, there's some stuff that you do and it's so subtle. But like I, it's like Freddie Mercury level. Like like, hmm, how many harmonies can I actually do before you get like overtones that are gonna offend people? Like, <laughs> and you do it, and I and I really enjoy it. And it's like the little your production too. When I was listening with headphones on, it's like some Pink Floyd shit. So it's like that psychedelic crap going on. I don't know what it is. Like some binaural shit. I mean, I, I like actually Pink Floyd is a big model for my early sound. Like acoustic guitars, you know, like a lot of synthesizers. I like analog synths. So, mm -hmm. you know. Well, you're on to something. I've heard, yeah, I've heard, <laughs> yeah. I've heard they're, they're, they're still here for a reason, you know. So, um, I don't know. I, I think, yeah, thanks. I, I think um, I actually love analog synths. I just got a Korg Prologue. Do you guys, do you guys know that keyboard? 
Oh yeah, I don't know yeah. it specifically, but I'm sure it's amazing. I it's love awesome. like playing it's around awesome. with it. I have an NS2000B back here, which is an analog yeah, yeah. synth. Yeah, and it's, yeah, yeah. they're so hard to find, but I found one with the gooseneck mic, and, and it's like my go-to. Which one? The one on top? It's it's no. The, oh, the, yeah, I, I know. The I know. The, I know. Right yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like the best yeah. vocoder because it's like it's like the yep. Daft Punk sounding one where you don't have to really know how to use it very well for it to sound good. <laughs> I know that <laughs> one. Yeah, that's from like the early 2000s, right? Yeah, I know that. Yeah, it's like 2000, yeah. 2001. Yeah. They're, it's like my favorite one. They make it like a micro cord now. Yeah. But this is like the full blown. Yeah. Yeah, I, I used to, I used to, um, the original analog MS-10. Do you know that one? It's like a. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that one, thing's sick. That, yeah, I love it. It's got these little like cool like flute recorder sounds that are just uh you can't match it with any other synthesizer i also have a mini mug like original which sounds really oh, that's cool. awesome that's yeah. sick. so so many fun toys <laughs> i love synthesizers so that's can fun. we maybe uh, along that track can we talk about production like when you're writing and recording what does that look like for you are you doing a lot of uh are you doing all your own production are you doing demoing are you you know what's that process look like yeah i mean uh in the past my first two three albums i you know i pretty much made fully formed demos with like you know s- drum tracks and everything like synth uh i have like i use contact mm-hmm. a lot I use, you know that and i have a lot of sa- sa- uh, sample synths and some of them are like loop violin based some of them are like i write on guitar some of them are acoustic guitar usually and um a lot of synthesizers you know i like i, have, I also have a juno 106 which i like a lot um but yeah I, what i do is i ended up like i, I make the beat uh, I use Ableton and Logic, Pro Tools if I have to, you know. But um, actually, Ableton a lot. I, I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. It's it's really highly creative. I like I champ. I, I like sam- I'll create stuff and then I'll chop it up and then like resample, and like use it like a like a sampler. Um, and then uh, I end up like layering a lot of stuff, and then like as much as I can with different instruments, and then like removing things to see if interesting things happen. So I ended up like. Like even if I if I wrote it on a guitar or a keyboard, the song might actually end up being um, something uh, featuring something that's like not intention originally intentionally uh, something I, I wrote for, with the song. So what? You know, so you uh, hyper layer it, and then sometimes yeah, yeah. you take out the original tracks that are like you know the bottom layer of Jenga. Yeah, just to see just if a, it floats on its own. Yeah, mm-hmm. see if it floats, or if it's actually interesting. You know, because sometimes something happens where it's just like that's super cool, man. Yeah, yeah, I do that. Um, and then, but then recently, uh, my last album, Omoyari, was like, I recorded with a full band and that was awesome. You know, just kind of like one week in the studio, you know, I had all, I had all the songs, everything arranged, but the, or everything kind of fleshed out form wise, but you know, and one, one song a day in the studio with a really good band. It's like something that's awesome. it's, it's really, it's great. <laughs> when it, let me ask you, when it comes to songwriting, it, uh, is your is it something that you explored a lot while you were in school at Berkeley, for example, or did that come from playing with the rock band? Have you always kind of been a songwriter? Because that's something that's interesting to me among the various guests we have. Is songwriting for me, I find is difficult, but to, you know, I'm curious to see how you got into it. I definitely listen to a lot of, um, you know, I like Bob Dylan and the Beatles and Paul McCartney and Leonard Cohen. What else do I like? Like Pink Floyd, I don't know. I, I just you like can a definitely lot. hear Beatles stuff in your harmonies, man. Like oh, I, I was, I'm like, I'm like, this dude definitely listened to the Beatles. Yeah. I made a mental note well, of that. And I, also I love like, that. I also like ELO. I love Electric Light oh, okay. Orchestra. That's I'm a huge yeah. fan. So that's like kind of orchestral. So ELO and Pink Floyd, those are the kind of sounds that I modeled a lot of my first album off of. Just like orchestral, lots of harmonies, lots of string lines, um, 
acoustic guitars. You know, I, I use a, I, I, I used to do a lot of uh, Nashville tuning, you know, where it's just the jangly mm-hmm. oh, yeah. part, just yep. like kind of keep it keep, so you don't have to worry about the beef um, yeah. of the. I just no- I just notch all that for- bullshit out. That's what that's what I've learned the most from Corey. <laughs> yeah. Is that if you want to fit as much shit in, you just got to realize that you got to take yeah. whole for- just cut all yeah. those frequencies out. For the yeah. uh, li- listeners and viewers, uh, Nashville tuning is is if you take a twelve string and remove all the low strings, so it's a very kind of bright, um, kind of glistening sound uh, for a you guitar can do a six- or six string too. I think yeah. Well, just sorry. Whole- well, that's yeah. the the strings you use are the are the high of a twelve string, right? Yeah, I was gonna say I I like the converse of that. There's something called Gambali tuning after Frank Gambali, and what he does is he tunes it <laughs> to an A. It's A standard, so basically it's like if you play on the fifth fret, oh. but the top two strings are an octave low. Are you talking about A A A A A A tuning? It's like no 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 no. It's an A standard. I do know about that, but tell us because I don't know about it. I just learned about it like yesterday. My buddy Ben Levin told me it's basically yeah, you tune every single down to an A. And then you can just do a massive, crazy solo, like a single, <laughs> single. It's sick. He showed me, man. It's like that crazy. That definitely seems like a guitar player yeah. invention. I did have. This is the uh, the Nashville one. Oh, I got yeah. the Gambala. <laughs> the Gambala. Oh my god, here we go. <laughs> nerds, guitar nerd hour. <laughs> that's that's basically what this show is. I occasionally get some violence up here, but it's usually guitar nerding out. <laughs> we don't talk about bass on this show. Frank Gambale. Yeah, well, you just said basically. This is Gimbali tuning. Yeah. Is... Do you hear that? So it's just got lower octaves, in other words? So it starts on A, mm. and so I can play... So the top two strings yeah. are uh, octave wow. Yeah, it's a really pretty tuning. It's supposed to be like piano keys close together, so it's a lot of piano voicing. So that's a bar chord. Oh, okay. Do you do you experiment with different tunings when you're playing around on like stringed instruments like that? On string, like, like or just or in general, like do you ever flip things around when you're writing just to get different sounds? Oh yeah, yeah. Like on guitar, I like um, who's that guy? Like Nick Drake, like draw open C. Mm. I've been I've been messing around with that a little bit. Um, I've also I've also been really getting into electric guitar, honestly. That's so, awesome. Yeah, I'm like. What practicing. prompted that? Just like for more writing inspiration I, or. I just got this. I've gotten like a couple cool guitars, you know, so they're actually fun to play. And I've that's just, so important, man. Yeah. Like people all the time talk about how expensive the guitar, how nice it is. I say, how many songs does it have in it? Because some guitars will call you and you're just like, I got to play this thing over and over. And it may be like a beautiful Les Paul or it might just be a crappy Fender sitting in the corner. But you're just, it's about that's how I judge a guitar. How many yeah. songs does it pull out of me? Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's how I that's how I treat an instrument. Honestly, if I buy an instrument, if it has one song in it, it's worth it to me. You know. Yeah. But, absolutely. But, yeah, but so For forty-two I, I, million dollars <laughs> that Amati better fucking have that song in it. Oh yeah, that have, better have multiple songs in it. Like a Tchaikovsky in there, a Paganini mm-hmm. in there. But uh, <laughs> yeah, my friend. So I, I took a lesson from my friend Ben Levin. He's a you should look him up. He's a crazy guitar player, but. He's, he's like, where's your whammy pedal? I was like, uh, I don't know. I just, or yeah, where's your whammy bar? I was like, oh, I don't know. I didn't. It's sort of a, he's like, you should, a, a guitar without a whammy bar is kind of like stupid. That's what he told me yesterday. So I'm kind of, don't, get, I'm don't insult to... my Les Paul back there. <laughs> well, no, no, here, no, here's what you do. This is what, if you want to fucking heckle this fucker, go back and put a Bigsby on it, which is the dumbest yeah, fucking could... whammy ever. It barely does anything. Be like, yeah, see, I got one. And he'll just be like shaking his head. 
I got this strat. It's called a warden. Let's see, a warden. Um, yeah, it's it's road worn. It's new. It's brand new, but it's road worn. So it has oh, like I, I like that some, color. Some kid in some kid in Mexico like beat this up <laughs> and like made it look like it, it's been on tour or something. You know? <laughs> Oh, like it's been but, on the road. Yeah. It's okay. It's that makes it sound. That yeah, makes yeah, it sound yeah. better, though. That's that's important. It's like ripped jeans, you know. Yeah, I mean <laughs> the fingerboard's like the grease. It's greasy. <laughs> so it's, it feels really good. I have fun playing it. So and it, I got I got into it, and my friend made me another guitar. So I'm like really like a telly. So I'm just uh, I don't know. I'm just been into guitars. Bought a bunch of pedals, you know. So. That's awesome. Uh, um, well, let's. I, I'm sorry inspired. to keep going back because I'm I'm fascinated just by the album writing process and developing yeah. your sound and your style. But when you were doing your first album, did was it something that just kind of came together? Because you will, you know, you know, you mentioned you had a kid and you were, you know, writing different types of music. And did all of this sort of come together? Did you sit down with a strategy of, you know, what kind of sound you wanted to develop? And you sat down to like write an album and you know, put yourself on some sort of project timeline. I, I'm just curious about how that, that came together. Yeah. I think it was, uh, it was kind of out of desperation because I, uh, Jupiter one, my rock band that I put everything into was just kind of, it just really wasn't taking off, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, uh, I started doing these solo songs and that, that really started taking off and I put an EP together and then I, I started doing the solo loop thing, mm -hmm. you know? And so it was basically, I had a motto in the beginning. It was don't lose money on tour. You know, and so like I could only hire myself and I would open up for 200 bucks for somebody, you know, or whatever, you know, like a, I do it so that I wouldn't lose money. And uh, so I, I made my debut album kind of, uh, I moved out of New York City to work on this debut album. Like to, I went home, I lived with my parents. I took my whole family, you know, <laughs> to live with my parents for like a few months and then uh, to take the financial pressures off of just mm -hmm. like trying to hustle in New York City, which sure. is awful. I felt like a peasant, you know. Um, and so, yeah, it just kind of started with that. I was really desperate and I, I put together all these songs that I've been working on and worked hard on them for like six months. And then I just had it mixed. I went to this guy in Athens, Georgia to have it mixed and then, uh, yeah, got it mastered and that's it. Wow. Uh, so then you, uh, my so record you released label. the album. Yeah. Go, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Go on. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I did a Kickstarter project. Um, it's, a, it's still like online, but like I made a video and I got, I raised some money to kind of help me get started. And then a record label, uh, Joyful Noise Recordings, which is like it's it's actually a pretty a pretty good sized label now. But it was it was like one person back then, and so he signed me. and We kind of grew together, you know. That's so, amazing. So yeah. yeah, that's I mean that's that's an incredible story. I, I didn't know that. Um, so did you notice that you it was getting some traction once it got released? And at what point did it turn into touring on it or doing live performances? And well, know, what was, was that process like? Yeah, I was I was doing both simultaneously. So like. Um, let's see what was going on. I was playing with Regina Spector and then I quit that. And then, uh, I joined a band called of Montreal. They're from mm -hmm. Athens. And so I was in that band for like a year and they're, they're this crazy, like psychedelic rock band party band. Um, and so I opened up while I was working on my album, I opened up for them and I was opening up and basically barely ever going home to my, to see my family or anything, you know, wow. cause I was just basically doing my own Kishibashi early Kishibashi stuff doing, uh, doing of Montreal tours you know and then um and they got to a point where i was actually making money uh headlining as my you know small clubs on my own that i was like oh i'm actually i just i can't do both and so i, I started doing solo and then i start i grew like i hired one person that was tall tall trees like mike mm -hmm. savino and then i eventually over the the course of you know five years i kind of grew into it so i could afford like a crew you know and a band 
just yeah. like built the U.S. markets, at least, you know. That's yeah. amazing. When it came to arranging it, like once you added more musicians, was that did any of the arrangements change or develop because you had different people or was it all kind of prearranged based on the stuff that you wrote on your own? Um, no, I, I usually cater to the musicians that I have. So if I know they're good singers, I'll, I'll make sure they can sing or if they're like they can do other if, if they can play other instruments and help out, mm-hmm. you know, I can they can do that. But or sometimes if it's just duo like me and Mike, I can do, mm-hmm. you know, we'll arrange it differently um, because I think uh, the songs so sometimes it's a real struggle to to recreate the song with just a limited amount of people but most of the time i can just get away with just presenting the song you know especially if it's like a popular one that people want to hear yeah you know with one either by myself or with like two people yeah absolutely if 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 it if it's like a party show you know and it has to end with like confetti then i need like a drummer and a full band you know but <laughs> other, yeah. could be a little lame that, if you're just sitting up there with an acoustic guitar and then all of a sudden you're just like you know <laughs> shows over i mean that would be hilarious i could do that just because you uh challenged me to do that <laughs> well please take a video and send it to us so we can put yeah. it on. <laughs> okay oh my gosh <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, I want to talk a little bit just about your videos. I mentioned them earlier, but you know, my first impression of you was just checking out your website, which is uh, just kishibashi.com, right? Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So if you check, if you guys go there, visit it, you know, you have a ton of videos, ton of music up there. Uh, and there's a very eclectic kind of uh, style for the, for the videos. Like how, when you're thinking about how to present your music through the visual medium, like what, what does that process look like? Um, usually there's a few, a few filmmakers that I work with, you know? So like if there's a, a lot of time, people just approach me, they're like, Oh, I want, are you doing a, vi- a video? And I check out their stuff. And then I have to imagine I'm pretty, I, I work to, I work with the directors, you know, pretty closely. So I have to like, imagine if, if I think it's possible or if it's going to be cool or not, you know, whatever their concept is, I usually let them come up with an idea, you know, I don't or know so what videos you, you, so you about, work you know. off, off of like you know how they you let them listen to the song and they come to you with a, a treatment yeah, well, and you yeah and i kind of work with them like i don't know if that's gonna work or like I, I don't think that's interesting enough or you know and usually i can tell by the, i have to see their previous work and i can be like oh i can imagine you making something like you say it is you know sometimes they're like oh we'll do this and it'll be awesome and i'm like i don't know how awesome <laughs> yeah, I really don't. I don't. I don't have confidence in you're gonna be able to make a three minute amazing thing. You know, as as a video director, I've been on the other side of that conversation. Like, no, it's gonna be crazy. There's gonna be explosions, and there's this thing, and then there's person like, and then what's your budget? Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't really have one. <laughs> like, all right, well, I can put a GoPro up in the corner of the room, and you can sing. You know, yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of like video production, maybe we can jump and talk about the documentary that you did because that was something it, with New Deco that I got to you know play some of the string parts oh, and yeah. arrange for, to go with it. And that's, I mean, that's a massive project, and not many musicians venture on that boat of producing a full length film. Where did that come from? And maybe just for the people that don't know, like, what can you tell us what it's about? I mean, I know, but for the listeners, <laughs> fill, yes. fill, fill us in on how that came to be. Yeah, so it actually started with New Deco. So New Deco Ensemble, the end of the group you play in, is uh, they commissioned me to write a, a piece that involved uh, visuals and uh, improvisations in like remote Japanese American incarceration locations. And so I, I when as I was going to film these pieces and work on this orchestral piece for New Deco, I had a documentarian document me working on it. And so that became the documentary and, and then it, it's all about like minority identity and, and like World War II history. And it, it basically 
it spiraled into like this feature length documentary, which, um, which we premiered this year, but we're actually pulling it out. <laughs> it's a long story, but we're actually, we're actually uh, getting distribution now. So we have to pull it out and we're reworking it again. Oh, wow. Congrats. Yeah. yeah thanks. That's awesome, That's man. Awesome. Yeah. I can't tell you what it is, uh, what, what yeah. it's going to be on, but it, it'll be out next wow. year. Wow. That's, yeah. that's super exciting. Well, we'll have to stay I'm, tuned for that. <laughs> I'm super, yeah, I think I think you're in it. Do you remember the <laughs> cameras? Were you at the, you were at the concert, right? At the, yeah. The premiere. Yeah, uh, yeah, with, with the piece. Yeah, at the yeah, New yeah. World Center when yeah, they had yeah. Yeah, you're you're in it. Oh, cool. Well, yeah. <laughs> well that's that's fun. <laughs> I hope you know. I hope you're okay. I hope you're okay. That sounds like I'm totally that sounds okay. like something that sounds like something that Siobhan would have. Like, oh yeah, you're just you're just happy to be on like you know House of Cards or. You know, you're just on, you're on this TV show. You're, you're in this movie. House, you didn't know that. Cards. No, yeah, I, Queen's I was Gambit. It was what I was thinking Gambit. of. He's yeah, always but. making fun of me for that. Well, no, because I remember telling me like, oh, I it was in like someone's room. Like one time, I went down to an apartment, and then she's like, it's like, going to be a show on like Netflix, I think. And I'm like, watch it be the biggest thing on the planet. And I told her, I'm like, it's number one on Netflix. And I remember her reaction was, what's number one? What what show are you talking about? I want to go uh, see the, the Queen's Gambit. Gambit. Oh, you're in the Queen's Gambit? Like uh, what just scene? Just music. See, so it's it's throughout the uh, whole thing. So the composer... Through the whole thing, bro. Uh, oh, that's cool. <laughs> I well I, I didn't write it. The I just whole show. It. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> oh, you just played it for billions of people to listen to. No big deal. Who cares? You're like my mom talking about my accomplishments mm-hmm. accomplishments more oh, than yeah. I do. <laughs> but the music for that is really good and the supervised the licensed music is really cool too, I remember. It like is. they have a cool cool songs in it and everything. Yeah. Yeah, the the yeah. composer's amazing. I mean, he had done stuff with Netflix before, but he's yeah, he's also somebody that is great with sound design. There's something very special about like the mm-hmm. types of sounds he uses. It's, it's a lot of it's pretty open like piano yeah. and string centric, but the piano sounds and the way it works with the strings, it's like just filled enough but still pretty sparse it's what's it, it what's it, his name what's that person's name um carlos uh rivera carlos rafael rivera mm. okay yeah. cool so if nice. you just look up carlos queen's gambit i'm sure it would come up on, yeah. uh, on but Google, basically but. if you hear like a solo violin on that show that most okay. likely through the whole season which is by the way phenomenal and emmy award-winning it's incredible it's incredible nice. uh, it's her and I can tell you this because I, I said to her that I bet you more people heard you this weekend because Netflix during COVID recommended this show <laughs> about chess, which sounds about as interesting as watching experimental violin, right? Like that's like so many dudes, right? Like to say they're like the, but instead it's the number one show on the fucking planet and she's playing it and through the back of my speakers, I'm like pointing to my fiance. I'm like, that's Siobhan. She's like, can't you just watch the show? I'm like, but no, but that's her that's her violin. You're like, but yeah, but I'm trying to watch what's happening over here and you're fucking yammering about a stupid violin. That's that's pretty true. Wow. You really painted that picture of of COVID COVID time. Oh yeah. Quarantining. Yeah. I, I saw Anna and what's the actress Anna Taylor Joy oh, The yeah, Northman. Yeah. I saw The Northman the other night. It was really good. Oh yeah. I haven't seen so that. So fucked up. Yeah. The North. Have you have you seen the lighthouse mm-hmm. or witch the witch mm-hmm. w? I think I movie? saw that witch witch one whatever. Witch. I, yeah, I can't, it's I can't. same same yeah same director. It's really fucked up. <laughs> lighthouse <laughs> with Willem Dafoe and you know. I'll have right. to check it out. Yeah, uh, yeah. talking you know mentioning COVID, uh, you know this that was kind of like our original like master topic obviously the show is called 2020 uh you know because we started in 2020 because of 
COVID. And uh, one of the things we used to always ask is like, how did you spend your time? Like, especially as a musician, a touring person or right? Like, like what was that period like for you? Yeah, I mean, um, two things. Uh, let's see, I was not touring. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would hope not. <laughs> It'd be a very lonely tour. Yeah. Actually, you know what? Uh, I had a great, I had a, like, kind of a great time. I had, a, I had this RV, you know, that um, we, I never really used. So a camper, you know, and uh -huh. I took it around the country. So I went to, Mon I drove, I took my kid, drove up to Montana, and then later in the year, drove all the way to the West Coast and back, you know, and kind of camped out and kind of really saw America like these places that, you know, that you, that touring musicians don't see, like that don't have venues, like the mountains and like, right. Um, yeah. And it, and it was, yeah, it was, it was amazing. It's so, so you took beautiful. advantage like, of it. Yeah. I was like, yeah. Cause I didn't have anything else to do. And then I wrote a lot of songs. I, I put out an EP, you know, um, of like six songs. Uh, and then I realized uh, Spotify does not like EP. So it's, it's like kind of, just kind of got buried, you know, Interesting. But, um, why, why is, I mean, I, I don't know much about this, but why, why yeah, is that? Uh, there's like this algorithm, you know, if you look at Spotify and you open it up to whatever artist and you look at new releases an EP doesn't like show up and you, if you look up like album list an mm. EP doesn't show up, you know, in the album list, even if you want it to. And so it's kind of like, it, it, it all, it's like in the singles section. But what you know? if you're so like it's Owls and Chains and it's like sack <laughs> where there's like songs that you have to hear, like, are they really going to like push that down? Like the memories at camp? Well, if you're Alice in Chains, <laughs> And if you if you uh, if you really want to hear Alice in Chains, you'd probably go there and dig deeply. But if uh, <laughs> digs mud vein, yeah, they're not really worried is, about that, bringing in the new fans. I don't think they're. Uh, wait, is he? Is that guy alive? Didn't he die? The Alice Lane in Chains. Lane Staley, yeah. But yeah, but, like but see, this upsets me because Jerry Can Cantrell, like he's like half the fifty percent of the voice and like ninety eight percent of the songwriting. So like it still sounds like Alice in Chains because that William Duvall guy, even though he looks drastically different yeah, yeah, and has yeah, like yeah. a fro, <laughs> but like he, he it sounds like Alice in Chains. This bothers you. Can't you can't sleep at night because of this? Well, I, I don't understand why everybody. There's a lot of reasons he can't sleep at night. <laughs> That's true. It's usually it's usually the Adderall and the cocaine mixed with the caffeine, but you know. Yeah. Um, speaking of like you know, you must pay attention to like the the algorithms and like how you know how I, I music. My my label does. Yeah, well, <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> so that you're forced to kind of like um one thing we talk about a lot with people is like the singles game versus the album. Um, have you put any thought into that side of things? Like, the, do you experiment at all, or does your label ask you to experiment with things like that to see what catches? Yeah, my label is always trying to make me put out new music, but I, <laughs> I'm like, I'm really, I'm really unprolific. I put out an album every two years, and that's about it, at minimum. I just work on, you know, I'm like, I really don't like releasing stuff unless I, unless I feel like it's ready, you know. Unless, Why don't you just make an EP that's like, just call it an album? Uh, I think the algorithm's smarter than that. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, I could just make an album. I'm just—I don't know. I learned my lesson. I—I just know that I just know that I go out there, and a lot of people don't know these—the EP. Like they don't even know it exists. For some All right, yeah. I have an idea. Why don't you make the last song like 23 minutes, and most That's of the end of it's just noise, <laughs> so it, it clocks in at 78 minutes. You know, you you to, could, how could you have to break it up into multiple tracks though noise one I, noise two noise three so, yeah. i was yeah i was told that multiple tracks is really the way to go so you could have like sh like a punk 
punk rock. But what like, if you're Tool um, like and all your tracks are 14 minutes and you have six songs, but it's so again, Tool's minutes. not trying to find new, new. They're not confused. I'm just confused. That is not helping. What about these giant bands that, that don't need what, to break through? What about, what about Stone Temple Pilots, man? <laughs> I love Stone Temple Pilots. I saw that was one of my first concerts I ever saw. They're oh, so wow. good. They were, uh, I want to say they're good, but actually, let me see. Okay. It was actually, um, they actually didn't sound good compared to the Flaming Lips opened up, but they were like an unknown like band. But I do remember them like smashing. This is like 1992. That's, uh, they were like smashing, you know, they put like rubbing alcohol on the symbol. They oh. light it on fire. Yeah. That was, oh. that was, that was like their thing. I remember that. And then, oh yeah. And then Butthole Surfers closed. And then I remember, they were supposed to open for Stone Temple Pilots, but Stone Temple Pilots wanted to go home or they wanted to like leave earlier. What? So they switched the order. And it was in this <laughs> and the butthole server's like, man, fuck SDP. Oh, like, like, oh the nineties. Awesome. The nineties. Everybody just hated each other. Oh my gosh. And got away with lighting things on fire on stage, which oh yeah. That was would be frowned fun. upon in most live nation <laughs> venues, I think. Yep. Yeah, well, Great White ruined that for all of yeah, us. Yeah, Great yep. White. Damn. <laughs> uh, Ripped the station fire to all those uh, people. Yeah, ruined it for 150 people. I think it's even more than that. Rhode Island winning. Yes. <laughs> Warwick, Rhode Island. <laughs> yeah, right. You know oh, that man. place? I remember that. Yeah, I, yeah, played yeah. A, I played a gig there a long time ago. Yeah, um, I'm about 20 minutes away from there. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, so the, the two guys are in Boston area. I'm, well, right now. Oh, road, but <laughs> oh that's why you have Aeros- that's your Aerosmith shirt. It's like required mm-hmm. dress code. Yeah, yeah they hand Boston. out to everyone when you're born. <laughs> yeah, my Red Sox hat is in the other room. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Mandatory Red Sox Aerosmith gear. Um, ne- next to your... Um, extreme shirt oh whatever. see that's much more realistic because i actually love extreme <laughs> even more extreme. than Aerosmith. Yeah. i yeah. love I met, it i met that Nuno's guy my what's, boy what's, the what's that guy's name uh gary or Nuno? which uh oh, gary sharon gary sharon yeah, yeah yeah he's I, the man i played, I, I played on an album of his called tribes really? of judah tribes of judah dude i remember <laughs> see, i saw tribes of judah back in the day did you play with him live yeah like one gig i think I was just that's like, a, I played violin. I played violin on something. I can't remember. That's cool, man. With Mike Mike Mangini. He's like the yeah, Mike leg- Man- yeah, leg- from Dream Theater, and uh, he's like a legendary drummer. He has yeah. the fastest drum. Uh, t- the interval be- the interval between two drum hits. He's got the fastest in. Uh, oh Guinness yeah, he's a fucking freak of nature, dude. I like, mean, literally, Mike Mangini is <laughs> the almost total freak of nature. <laughs> is it one note has, or two? <laughs> has nothing to do with the music, but he's fast. <laughs> <laughs> How did he's that come about? Drum. Oh the, yeah, he also he also he's also the first uh, one-handed snare drum guy. Like he can do a oh, yeah. snare roll with one hand, which is like still tif- difficult to this wow. day. One of my favorite Mangini stories. I mean, and I've met him a few times. He's a he's a slightly weird dude, cool, but quirky <laughs> as fuck. Like not like what you would expect. Like you meet the professor from, you know, Rush, Neil Peart. Like that guy was very like a dignitary. Like he rode his bicycle around town and like wrote poems. <laughs> Mangini like doesn't you meet this guy like oh what's going on man all right yeah that's cool and someone made fun of him because he reaches really high like if you look he has like a Gibraltar rack or whatever with all of his symbols and he's like always constantly doing this so someone said something to him so he just raised it like a foot higher so if you look and you watch Dream Theater play he's literally not only playing the craziest thing he's like going for like four hours with his six like roto toms and his. (laughs) 
three hundred ex- ancillary drums that he's just the hitting four, with foot pedals and the stuff. Four, four hour dream theater show. Oh my god! Yeah, gosh, it's fucking yeah. ridiculous. It's only seven <laughs> songs. They're like, Tool, hold <laughs> oh, our beers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hold our beers. You you think your song's long in thirteen minutes? We got an opus <laughs> for you, motherfuckers. Oh my god, <laughs> Mike Mangini. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I was a. Uh, I met. Uh, just I so you know, them. I love Mike Mangini. He was yeah, just yeah. wrong for extreme because you can't have two Nunos in an extreme. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was. In, I went to Berkeley, so I, I got connected through that. To answer oh, your interesting. Oh. Okay. I don't know. I can't remember how I got that gig, but I did it. That's good. Well, it sounds like Berkeley cares about their students having careers to some degree. Oh, like, I don't that's think Ber- a- Berkeley didn't do anything for me. Oh. Oh, okay, <laughs> I, was, okay. I found. I found that gig. So I was just going to ask: Did you actually graduate from Berkeley, or did you do what you're supposed to do and just just uh, connect with the <laughs> artists and get the hell out of there? I'm a good I'm a good Asian kid, so I, I have a college degree <laughs> in uh, in film scoring. That was my that's what I got. Oh, I got nice. something oh, okay. practical. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's that's amazing. I was um I mean I've long since finished school, but um, I'm always looking at the Berkeley online class. I've taken a few, but I was interested oh, yeah? in doing the the film scoring. I think they do a master's now that you can do online. So, oh yeah. I think I, I, they definitely have some courses, but it's probably easier to do it on campus. I don't know what it entails, but yeah, yeah. If you're into film scoring, there's like a there's a probably there's probably a lot of online stuff. I've d- I've done some online mixing classes from like other places. I wouldn't yeah. give Berkeley any more money. You know, but, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know why you would lower yourself to Berkeley, man. <laughs> I shouldn't shit talk on Berkeley. That I I like my experience there. It's just uh, you know. No, but Berkeley. everyone I've ever met <laughs> from Berkeley, I feel I feel like it's just like it's more about who you meet there or what classes oh, yeah, you yeah. fuck it's a up hub. to go. It's a hub. Yeah, yeah. it's a yeah, hub. Yeah, yeah I'll, like I'll, all my friends, you know, I have a lot of friends who are professionals now that I I keep in touch with. You know, it's cool. Yeah. Unless you're Shota Nakama who fucking graduates, but they like start his own department after him because they're like, oh, you sold out Symphony Hall. Maybe we should make this a thing here. <laughs> Maybe you can bring that more happened. money into our school. Right. Exactly. Exactly. They're like, all those Japanese kids will now come here because of you. You yeah. didn't matter when you were in Osaka, but you matter now. So now so all who, the people from Osaka. Ben's referencing. Uh, uh, previous guest uh, Shota Nakama, who came from Japan, went to Berkeley, and st- basically started video game music, like as oh. like a thing. Um, and now he's a video he's, game orchestra, like he is, would do live concerts. Yeah, and so he created yeah. the video game orchestra now, which is you know a huge international thing. But he started that as a kind of a club at Berkeley, and they ended up oh. turning it into a course. Like Zelda, like playing along with Zelda and like that kind of stuff. Yeah, except yeah. now he like writes for Final Fantasy in the Marvel universe, so he's like, oh Zelda, you uh, you may have heard of me, Final Fantasy. Is he wait? Is he a famous game composer, or is he do, do oh, yeah. live, the live game? Yeah, both. He oh, played okay. like so. I he know. had lines like packs. So yeah, and then he's, like, he'll go play Brazil in front of a hundred thousand hmm. people because he's a. He, he, not answering the question. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Go ahead, Corey. No, I was gonna say. So he he basically he got into everything through doing basically covering the video game music and has grown oh, it to such okay. a uh, place now where he's now connected with the actual. You know, composers, composers and he yeah. works with them I closely and, and has done I some pretty it. incredible stuff. Okay. And he's been on the show, so if you guys go back to our archive, oh. you can you can watch him. Uh, he's a cool. fascinating guy. Good shit. Likes uh likes Japanese whiskey and I oh, <laughs> Japanese whiskey. I, I like oh, Japanese. So good. Whiskey. So good. So yeah. good. Hibiki. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now I'm thirsty. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I guess in our what? remaining time since we're coming to the end of the episode, I think Corey's kind of the official timekeeper here. Yeah, um, we got about Seven minutes left. Okay, so what's 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 coming up 
you know, in the next few months for you? Like, what what's your plan? What what can people look forward to in the world of Kishibashi? Well, I am uh, I'm officially just supposed to be working on new music. So I'm just kind of experimenting. S- supposed to be? Son of a I'm bitch. A break. <laughs> <laughs> I'm to write some taking, songs. <laughs> yeah, basically. I'm, uh, I mean, what I do is I, I go through my phone. I, you know, I make demos here and there. I, I, make, I put down ideas here and there. And then I go through, once it's time, I go through all my ideas and I kind of like think about them and work on them. And, you know, over like what I've collected over the past two, three years. You know, Are you so, like Kirk Hammett though? Like if you lose your phone, like you're like, going to be fucked. Like you'll be like, dude, I had so many riffs that were good. Kirk Hammett's problem. <laughs> Just riffs. Did, did you not hear about that, dude? <laughs> Just like riffs on his phone. He, he, though, his he phone. literally, he, he said he didn't get any songs of the new Metallica record, which I mean, I'm sure equates to gajillions of dollars of publishing because he's had them all on his iPhone and he lost it because he didn't have it backed uh, up to the cloud. He didn't have it back. I have it backed up to the cloud. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can't he believe Apple's like not just like, cadet. but but I feel like Apple secretly has it. They're just like, just ask us for it. We'll give they're it to holding, you. They're holding onto it for the highest bidder. Yeah. Well, I'm sure. Yeah, like, I'm sure they away. own the rights as soon as you put it on there. It's just like, all right, all this music is now owned by Apple. It's yeah. <laughs> yeah, like some execs, they have like a club where they go in and like secretly yeah, listen yes. to like the like, release. The they're, they're, they're like, they're like the most hey, valuable thing. Yeah. Hey, remember that Wu Tang record you weren't allowed to hear? We got the whole thing on repeat <laughs> and five of Kirk Hammett's riffs you never cared about. <laughs> just voice memo riffs. They listen. Wait, is is that the is that the Wu Tang album? That they sold to that guy Scarrick, yeah, the, yeah the Mark, Martin Scarrelly or whatever Garrett his name Scarly. is, yeah, yeah, yeah for the, a million dollars or the far, the pharmacist guy who was like was yeah, yeah. like taking people's money to like kill them, yeah, yeah, he made, awesome. he, yeah. <laughs> that guy, he's such an asshole. He's like the most hated person like yeah. on Wall Street. Yeah, way to go, Rizza, way to profiteer <laughs> off that douchebag. <laughs> million Dirt dollars McGirt, McGirt's turning over in his good, grave good for them make that guy waste his money on that like that's <laughs> yeah no shit he can pay me yeah. for the fight, all the crap on my phone how, if he wants how great would it be if Rizzo came back out and was like yeah the album fucking sucked yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually only an EP so no one would hear it anyways that's right <laughs> probably just EP. yeah probably he got lowered on the <laughs> algorithm <laughs> even in space yeah <laughs> um, let me let me think about what else I'm doing this year I'm going on vacation with my girlfriend just to Greece. Oh, that's awesome. In September. That like fun. Yeah. Uh, that's going to be cool. And oh, I'm playing with some orchestras. I'm playing with the UGA Symphony. So I'm doing a lot of orchestra stuff, UGA Symphony. And then next year, Asheville Symphony. Um, so that's the other thing I've been doing is expanding. And it started with New Deco, but I'm like, I've now, I now have a full symphony concert. Like I can do it with uh, orchestras. That's, that's awesome. That's, yeah. So exciting. That's got to be amazing. Yeah, Sam. Sam helped me orchestrate like full orchestra. So Sam Hyken. That's off. Yeah. yeah. So of yeah, your music. You. Yeah. Yeah. New well, Deco. that's fucking yeah. wild, bro. Yeah. That's I'm awesome. Like, yeah. So I've been playing like I played a, with a bunch of symphonies. Uh, Hold on. This, Wait. Can I give year. you a, a serious suggestion? Sure. So like you I can't should. Wait. You should totally be like Ingve <laughs> Malmsteen, right? Like you, okay. you're a like composer. Ingve, you have your. Like, you you like should show up with your theory. big fluffy. No, bring up your big fluffy box shirt with all like the ruffles. And just okay. go up yeah, there yeah, yeah. with the huge, you know, like you're in yep. Armadeus or some shit, and you should be up there looking like you're from the 18th century. Okay. And, when, and just own He's it. He's got his own thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, but he, this now is he a great has suggestion. an orchestra. It's the how often do you get to get weird like Ruffles as a dude? Yeah, yeah. You want and it's me to appropriate? Be, yeah, be pompous. I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like a wig. That is very Ingve. That is synonymous with Ingve. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, the powdered wig Bring must it. make a comeback. 
<laughs> and I should like have a meltdown on an airplane and like have it recorded. <laughs> have you seen that? Have you heard that one? I have not. Oh yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no, the don't yeah, the donut. Like Ingve don't like donuts. And he's uh, like he's uh, like, I'll bring the fury or whatever. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, show the, you the I'll bring the fury. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I mean a, that's great. Yeah. So yeah, if you need any more uh, great ideas, Ben's available for consultations <laughs> and and career advice at any time, yeah. as long as you distract them from us. Uh, you can <laughs> give you a good. Hey Wallen, when he was doing his tour, the guy for Breaking Benjamin, unbelievable guitar player. He's gonna totally. He said he couldn't talk on stage. I'm like, bro, just pre-record it and don't use any backing tracks, and then just play your pre-recorded talk. It. You call him you KJ. You call him KJ. That might, that's Keith? his Instagram name. His real name is Keith. Keith. Yeah. Keith. No, as no we, I'm as calling learned, him KJ. Because, any of the proper titles, no, so. I know that his name is Keith. He's cool Keith to me, but I don't want him to be confused with the rapper. So I just want to call him by KJ Wallen, the at sign before, so you can find who I'm talking about. If you don't know the guitarist from Breaking Benjamin, just trying to help other stoners out there. <laughs> I used to do a bit. I used to have the sampler and I used to do a bit where I press like a little um, banter button oh really <laughs> i'd be like hello how's it going oh shit What's up? my name is this yeah See? you, you was, thought of this first of you. yeah i do that i'd be like uh hey how's it going um you know how's it going like blank i'd say like cleveland you know <laughs> <laughs> and it's like and then i'd like people would get catch on and then i'd start and then i'd like drop the mic you know, I'd like leave it off and it would keep talking. And that was like, that was like my joke. In fact, that was like for my solo, my lonely solo shows. That's incredible. That That's great. Fun. I'm glad I'm not the yeah. only high one to have that idea. Yeah. And I'm glad that you, but hold on. Did it work? Yeah. People were just like, what the fuck? You know? Dude, proof of concept. See, this is great. I come up with an idea. I manifest it through his destiny, yeah. through time and space. Time. He comes on our show. Time. And then now I'm going to go to KJ Wallen, send this fucking piece, be like, dude, it works. Us dude, together, made, we actually projected ourselves to the past, to this dude. Dude, that could be for any anything that, any singular event in human history, you could, Matt, you could think of it right now and then project it back, like, I don't know, the light bulb, human flight. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't know if that would be see. true. If, if you could project back, if you could project back, I don't think you would have come on our show. But <laughs> we, we're glad that you did, man. <laughs> we're glad we tricked you for just long enough to make an appearance. <laughs> yeah. Oh so, man! Thank you so I, much I got, for hanging with us, though. Yeah, I gotta totally. be real. I'm so glad that you're the guy behind all that craziness that melted my mind. Because it's if you guys haven't heard Kishibashi, I swear to God, like. You're not going to be disappointed. Like whether you love it or hate it, you're going to feel something about it because it's fucking wild. And I, lo I love you, man. Like I think this stuff is great. <laughs> and the fact that you're in Rick and Morty, like I know I have a whole group of friends that could care less about any of this stuff, but they'll <laughs> listen to you just because I said that. So I, I, I really think it's worth uh, you know smoking that joint first, getting listening to like maybe shine on your crazy diamond to get in the mood, and then being like open minded to some music maybe you haven't heard and inviting some violins into your heart. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, Kate, thank you so much. No, I yeah. really, I mean, I, no, I really fun. are an inspiration to me. And like, even in Lost Symphony, I've, I've taken some of your tricks of layering violins. Oh, okay, and, cool. Yeah, so it's, it's awesome. definitely played into some of the stuff that we've done. So, and, and I encourage people to dig through the depths of Spotify to find that EP and give it some streams. <laughs> yeah, because... it's, it's called Emigrant, Emigrant EP. Yeah. Oh, they um, definitely don't want it here in America. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but yeah, I guess nice. for for everyone listening, follow. Uh, where can they follow you on Instagram or socials? Wherever you're going to be announcing any shows or upcoming songs, anything. 
Yeah, kishibashi.com. I'm also, I'm on Instagram, kishi underscore bashi. It's me. That's him, <laughs> the man. There with all yeah. <laughs> releasing <laughs> Santa, music Santa Cruz Mountain. I know I'm gonna follow. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Great. All right. Well, thanks again for hanging with us, guys. Check yeah. out 2020-D.com and we will see you next week. Thank you, as always, for checking out this episode of 2020. Please visit 2020-D.com. Like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. This week's throwback clip is from episode number 16, featuring Dan Beck, music marketing guru. Check it out. Well, I, I ran Aerosmith's publishing at one point, and I gave Steven did. Tyler his first royalty check. Wow. And, uh, so, <laughs> so, no big uh, deal. No big deal. Yeah. I don't think he remembers it. I don't, you know, I used to introduce I don't think myself. he remembers 1982 to 1989, Dan. <laughs> 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 it's, uh, I, every time I would, would, would see him, he'd come into the office. I, I was working at his management company at the time, and he would come into the office and I would introduce myself to him every time. Oh and, my gosh! Wow. And and sometimes <laughs> one of those guys. And sometimes he would say, "Dan, why are you re- reintroducing yourself?" Oh. And it's like, <laughs> but sometimes he didn't. You yeah. Know? So. <laughs> Who out there? Yes, welcome everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz, and I'm Flynn McLean. Together, we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you!